This is Healthcare Now Radio's Trending Now. Get ready for an exhilarating 30-minute ride through the latest topics driving change in digital health across the news and social media. Join us as our subject matter host takes the lead in uncovering what's hot and what's not. So buckle up and tune in to stay in the know. Welcome to Trending Now on Healthcare Now Radio, where we explore the forefront of healthcare innovations and transformations. As usual, I'm your host, Shahid Shah. Today, we're thrilled to have Tamar Baker, healthcare CTO at Disease Scaler. What's trending now and what Tamar and I will discuss is the intersection of cybersecurity, economic value, which isn't always uh, covered, and user experience, which usually we forget about that, uh, yeah, you can make things really, really secure if you don't want people to use some software. But if you want people to be able to use the software, you have to have good user experience along with excellent uh, cybersecurity. Uh, so we're going to be talking about all those topics. And so join us as we delve into uh, Zero Trust Architecture, AI, and uh, more trending topics. Uh, with that, uh, Tamar, uh, you've got a couple of decades in the field. Uh, how have your experiences shaped your focus on healthcare digital transformation? And use this maybe to tell us a little bit about your background uh, at the same time. Yeah, thank thank you first and foremost for having me on today. I really appreciate it. Um, excited to be here with everybody listening and with you, Shahid. Um, so, you know, my my career actually started off in the military. I was an officer and fighter pilot, and you know, had nothing to do with cyber. But uh, a lot of what I learned as a fighter pilot and an officer were things that I could transition into the IT security world. Um, when you think about security specifically, one of the things that that we did as, as pilots is, uh, you know, be open to error, meaning like if if somebody makes a mistake, we have to be open to it and be able to correct it and move on and learn from it, right? So that's something that I think it, cyber today is, is very hard to do. People are scared. People obviously are scared of getting fired, for example. So having that shift in, in mindset is helpful. Um, from there though, I did transition into the IT world. I started off at the bottom. I was hired as a temp to clean network closets and I had to work up from there. Uh, so I became a network engineer and transitioned to security. I did this for um, federal agencies, HHS as an example, as well as the DOD. So I got into really highly regulated uh, places. And a lot of that, you know, transitioned from defending the country in the war environment into defending our our country and our users from a cyber perspective has been a, a great transition too. Um, Eventually, I did move uh, away from the federal space into the, the the private, you know, hospital healthcare system space. And again, a lot of what I learned in the regulated space that I was in very well translates into what we see today in healthcare. So, uh, a lot of the pains and challenges I see in healthcare environments, uh, you know, are are similar to what I've seen before. And it's it's been great to to take and transition that knowledge into the healthcare space to help people modernize. No, I love it. And in fact, uh, anybody that comes out of the military doing real work, like real protections, going into cybersecurity is always a breath of fresh air because you don't make up things. <laughs> there are real <laughs> threats out there that you've actually seen. And given that's the case, and the fact that everybody's pretty much glomming onto the idea of zero trust architecture without necessarily talking about uh, the generalities of zero trust architecture, what specifically do you think about zero trust in terms of healthcare and why it's particularly applicable in these fine-grained uh, types of roles and responsibilities that our healthcare practitioners and providers need to have. Yeah, I mean, overall, when I think about zero trust, it is 
it's a mindset for the entire organization. It's not just something that would be owned by cybersecurity and or uh, the infrastructure team, because it does impact in a positive way everybody on the teams, as well as, you know, keeping in mind, we'll talk about the user experience component of it. So um, when I think about zero trust, it really fundamentally boils down to allowing users to access applications in a secure way no matter where the users are on network, off network, it doesn't matter where, where they're at. And no matter where the applications live, whether they're in your data center or the cloud, you know, or SaaS applications, it do doesn't matter. So having that connectivity being secure, efficient, uh, as well as, you know, coordinated, no one single vendor can provide zero trust. A zero trust architecture is a combination of vendors. So you'll have to have other things involved like identity and endpoint security, et cetera. So um, having that approach approach holistically as I want to get the users to talk to the applications in the most least privileged and, and secure way possible with a good user experience and coordinating with the other vendors is probably how I would boil it down in, in the simplest way. Yeah, I mean, one thing I often say to uh, hospital CIOs and, and senior executives is, if you have signed uh, vendor BAAs, you know, regular business associate agreements, uh, there's lists of things that specific people at specific companies are allowed to do, not allowed to do. So in general, your legal agreements are generally written as if zero trust is implemented, but then you don't actually implement zero trust. And, and, and then everybody says, oh yeah, I'm following the rules. Yeah, I do. I'm following all the steps in the BAA. But of course we know that those are blatant lies. There's no way that you can actually accomplish most BAAs without proper zero trust architecture. So how how do we bridge that gap? Is this a multi-decade long uh, approach or could you do simple things pretty quickly with zero trust to be able to meet your BAA obligations even on the vendor side? Yeah, that that's actually a great question because there's this mindset and myth that zero trust is this long, arduous five-year journey uh, and it doesn't actually have to be. We've got lots of examples of folks that have deployed zero trust within within a year or two years even. Um, so you can actually get there very quickly. My biggest advice for it is to get started, uh, meaning a lot of times people think about it, again, as a super long journey. So there's lots of planning, lots of planning, lots of planning, lots of talking about it and lots of talking to vendors and the very big confusion from all the different vendors that claim they can give you zero trust. So it leads to this, this long drawn out pre type of zero trust phase. And if we actually just get started somewhere and, you know, whether that's fix your identity problem, you know, go into, you know, what we do at Zscaler, right? Starting to protect your user, connecting those users to applications very, very quickly and easily and seamlessly, you know, just start somewhere and you'll get significantly through your zero trust journey very quickly if you do that. So that's, that's my biggest advice is just start. Yeah, I love that advice of just getting started. And and in terms of just getting started, if you look at things from a pure IT perspective and you say, well, we need to do this because it's the right thing to do, for us technicians, that seems to make sense. But if you're talking to non-technicians, senior executives, doctors, nurses, et cetera, you almost have to start somewhere else, either on clinical or legal or economic. I love what you guys talk about in terms of economic value. So talk about just a, a few sentences on how do you actually put numbers to this so you could take it to your board and say we have to budget x to uh, against this economic potential downturn down value and then maybe say this idea that hey we're all claiming that we're following baas 
should this be a legal obligation to say you got to get started with zero trust because the economic benefit of doing so is X, but the economic detriment of not doing it is Y and Z. And by the way, if we don't do this, we're actually lying to people and we're not following our BAAs. <laughs> well, I'm not here to call anybody a liar. So we're not do <laughs> That's that. my job. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I, I will say that when I do talk to more of the executive and senior levels, I actually don't even reference this as zero trust, especially in our, the healthcare vertical. Um, I just talk about modernizing, right? When we modernize our infrastructure and we modernize our cybersecurity program, a byproduct of that modernization is two things. One is the economic value, which I'll talk to you in just a moment, and zero trust becomes a byproduct. So when when I have those conversations with CIOs and boards and CFOs, and we're trying to to get through projects, it's not even called zero trust. We're calling it a modernization effort which ends up getting you to that zero trust phase. So a lot of the economic values that we talk through though, is that look, when you do this moderniz modernization, not only do you save on things that are uh, physical savings, like uh, the cost of appliances and the cost of uh, MPLS networks and all these physical hard costs, there's a lot of soft costs that go into it as well that you save on. And, and those are more of the operational costs, the, the human capital savings, because now when you modernize and simplify things, um, you, you spend less time on updating and managing and you know a physical appliance because you've got a SaaS that's now taking care of all of that for you and you can spend your time doing other things right so so that's some of the modern uh, modern uh, effects that you get at us from an economic perspective and we've got a great esg report third-party report that we can link uh, with this radio broadcast to show hey what do you get out of this both hard and soft savings when you do something like modernization and it, it does encapsulate things like um no more uh, applying like so that the capex costs that that can go away a lot of the hardware pieces of it being able to be more agile because now once you've modernized and you've got an m a coming up or you've got you know other things that you're trying to do opening up another clinic hospital branch whatever you want to call it things happen a lot faster and, and smoother let's say you've got a clinician that wants a new system um you can implement that into your your environment very quickly and smoothly once you've got a more modern approach instead of that traditional cumbersome approach that we've built over the last 20 to 30 years. So this modernization helps with a lot of those hard costs, a lot of the, um, the, the softer costs, like being more agile, the human capital element, being able to do more with less, meaning you don't have to hire more people. You can actually do more with the same people you have today because you've taken a lot of that burden off of them. They're not staying up till uh, four in the morning doing a refresh or an upgrade on a, an appliance anymore because it's all being taken care of. So there's a lot of elements that go into it. More granular details are in the report. Happy to expand more on anything that you want to talk about today as well, though. No, that's that's a great advice, Tamara. And what I really love about it is that we're not saying that you should move to zero trust as an add-on with even more money. We're saying if you do it properly with with uh, zero trust is often referred to as a software-defined network infrastructure-based uh, strategy. And so, just like in the old days when we used to have all of our software with servers in our closets uh, at a hospital or in a data center. And when we went to SaaS, we didn't need any of that. That's, I think, the point that you're making, Tamara, is that when you do this properly, you modernize properly, security can be done in software, and it's actually more secure than trying to do the security in hardware. 
And if you do it, you don't have to buy the hardware. You don't have to maintain the hardware, et cetera. You're doing it mostly in the software side, which I which I just love. And so if you're just tuning in to our radio broadcast, you're listening to Healthcare Now Radio. This is Trending Now. I'm Shahid Shah, your host, and I'm talking to Tamar Baker at Zscaler. We're discussing the economic and security benefits of modernizing healthcare technology. Tamar's already talked to us uh, a lot about how this should not be seen as a cybersecurity task. It should be seen as a modernization task. And when you modernize, then you get a lot of the same benefits of cybersecurity, plus a bunch of other stuff like economic value. So how should um, healthcare institutions today look at the area of AI, machine learning, and their impact on healthcare cybersecurity? What specifically do you guys suggest to your customers about, hey, now you've solved a little bit of your problem with uh, Zero Trust, Here's now all the cool new things that you can do because that's what people are really waiting for. Yeah, so obviously AI is the buzzword of the you know the last couple of years and and, and probably twenty twenty four as well. Um, when you think about AI, I, I consider AI in a few different ways. When I look at a health system, you can implement AI for your care providers, right? There's there's AI tools ex- that exist to help them with transcription and, you know, things like that. Um, but then there's also the AI tools that help with your administrators, and that could be IT admins, it could be, you know, your human resources folks, et cetera. And they're using more of like the chat GPT style things. Um, AI could also be implemented in the health system when it comes to um, helping with research and diagnosis and, you know, the, the clinical side of the house on giving better care because AI is finding things that humans, you know, typically could, could be missing. And then, of course, AI is also useful in the cyber realm because the bad actors are using AI today to attack you. So you need to defend with AI as well. And by that, I mean, you, you know, the security products and the platforms that you're starting to look at, hopefully you're looking at ones that use AI to help you defend against the, the bad actors, too. So there's a lot of elements that we can dig into from an AI perspective. Um it's something that you have to embrace because if you're not embracing it, it will hit you like a truck. Um, it is coming down like a freight train heading your way. So uh, you do have to embrace it, but you have to be really secure about how you're embracing it. So there's a lot of risk in all those categories that I just talked to that we can dive into whichever ones are of interest for you. Yeah. One quick note for our radio audience uh, listeners might be that a lot of the conversations you have as as the Zscaler Healthcare CTO is with other chief information security officers or CISOs or CTOs or CIOs at hospitals and health systems. How much is the AI in healthcare just yammering and talk? Or are they serious about it? Or are they implementing and coming to you to say, hey, I need to do AI to help me secure my services faster? What, what's the real world look like? Yeah. It is getting more and more embraced. I have seen a lot of people turning it on. I have seen some that completely block it because of the risks that we can get into. Um, so it's a little bit of a mixed bag. And I have seen people that are waiting because the the regulatory piece of it and the governance side of it is still being formed. So a lot of people are trying to figure out how you govern this and how you do it more, you know, more securely. So there, it's a real mixed bag. Uh, although I, you know, the systems I've talked to that are more advanced in this are already building language learning models to help with the, like I said, the research and diagnosis pieces of it. And not only are they building it for their own system, but they're interconnecting multiple regional systems as well to get a better picture of of the of the community as they're trying to do this research so there are people that i've spoken with that are significantly further along the lines and then others that are just scared and waiting and completely blocked it until they could figure something out 
Yeah. So before we jump into a few more practical matters of day-to-day -day, uh, security, just talk to me a little bit about what is special about LLMs? What is special about AI? And, and by the way, you don't have the answer. I don't have the answer. Nobody has the answers because this is way too new. What? How should we think about security when we're looking at chat systems or when we're looking at LLMs? Because the ideal scenario is that um, the the when you ask the question of of a chat system or something, it's supposed to give in, give you answers, but only the answers you're supposed to be able to see. Right? That's what security would mean. That's not where we sit today, and it's often the reason why people turn these things off. So how are you thinking about this in terms of advice to others about where do you put security when LLMs, so these large language models, or AI is introduced? So there's a couple of concepts that we can get into with the security aspect of it. Where one of the big risks is, is when folks are just using the public you know, GPTs, um, anything they enter in there goes into public domain. So there's a huge risk of if I put in anything proprietary, anything sensitive with you know patient information, PHI, anything of that nature as I'm asking questions to these bots, now anybody else in the entire world has access to these. So that's a big risk that we don't want to expose ourselves to. One of the options for that is to get a private version of this, right, which costs money, unfortunately, but you can start using the privatized version where your stuff stays private, doesn't go publicly. From an LLM perspective, and you're thinking about things like the diagnosis and treatment um, and research side of the house, AI poisoning is a real threat, right? So if a bad actor gains access to the system in any way, shape or form, they can inject the smallest things in there and now all your results are skewed and, and impacted. So you can have false diagnosis, false things that come up because of this poisoning attack that happens with AI. So the protection there that we need to put in place is um, making sure, again, this goes back to the very basics of zero trust, the right users are reaching the right applications, no matter where the users and applications live. So even if you're interconnecting multiple systems in a community, we need to ensure that there is that element of zero trust there so that the wrong people don't get access to this, even by accident, um, to poison your AI, because that would be devastating in, in the world of healthcare, of course, as we're doing diagnosis. Yeah, I mean, it, it takes on a whole nother meaning for viruses, right? I mean, uh, viruses <laughs> uh, in our current lingo uh, act on humans as well as machines, but they take down machines, uh, they uh, mess with data to make it non-accessible, but to actually leave things in place, but get the wrong answers. That's right. Even more troubling. And that's a great, great, great example. So getting back to a little bit of practicality, what's everyone doing wrong in the world of uh, zero trust and cybersecurity, what's keeping hospitals and health systems and uh, vendors from properly increasing their security, common mistakes, uh, issues that you see fairly regularly? I think the biggest challenge is inertia. Change is hard, especially from the lower levels. Um, so overcoming inertia of modernizing and, and improving because everybody is used to the way they do things. Some people have a, have built their career around doing things around, you know, the infrastructure in one way. And now we ripping that away from them, right? So like that change is very difficult to overcome that inertia. Um, we need to 
when we think about this, modernization has to come from the top. Your CIO, your CTO, your CISO, um, for example, need to be able to drive this change downwards because if we're not going to drive it from the top down, overcoming that inertia is probably the biggest piece of it. Um, the other components goes back to the economic value. A lot of people think that it's going to cost so much more money to do this modernization without realizing all the savings and ROI that you get back. So you have to overcome that mindset too of understanding that look, this modernization is where we want to go. And it's going to benefit us both, you know, from a security perspective and a risk perspective, but also from a financial perspective. So coming to those realizations are difficult for people to see themselves. Um, so you have to really start working that from the top down and be open to, uh, you know, peer to peer discussions, you know, strategic type of consultations from folks that you trust, uh, trusted advisors, you don't have to do this alone, others have done it. Uh, you know, I, I'm open to being a, a, an advisor for folks as well. Uh, and not only myself, but I can connect you with others that have gone through this challenge and, and seeing that as well. So you don't have to believe it because vendor noise is real. A lot of vendors are going to say the same things. It sounds the same and everybody wants to do things, but it, you're not going to modernize if you take the same traditional stuff and just try and up-level the traditional, right? You have to do something new and modern. Yeah, no, normal people don't have a bunch of uh, friends in the FBI, but luckily I do. Give <laughs> me some advice about how uh, hospitals quickly before, then we'll do a t jump to the user experience questions. But this, this last piece of advice uh, to people about how much should they have relationship with local law enforcement, FBI and others uh, as part of their cybersecurity efforts? I mean, that, that that's definitely a, a key element because they're seeing the breaches, right, that have happened and have lessons learned from it. So you can learn from others' mistakes and others' breaches that have happened. Um, but again, I think the peer-to-peer -peer is, is a really important concept, right? This is a small community. We're all in it together and learning from your peers that have gone through these modernizations are super helpful as well. Got it. So the last few minutes that we have left, let's talk about how do we make the right thing to do, the easiest thing to do for end users, some of that I think is probably in the realm of, of uh, zero trust, but what is the user experience, user interface uh, ideas? What are the user experience uh, advice that you would give so that when you in implement these things, everybody doesn't just stop using the systems, but they use it in the most secure way fashion possible? The best thing from a user experience perspective is it becomes seamless and invisible to them. The users have no idea zero trust is going on in the background is the best way to put this. Um, so as you're implementing zero trust and modernizing, if your users are impacted, if I'm creating three extra minutes of work per day for a doctor, that is not good, right? Mm -hmm. We need to make sure that not only are we wanting to keep it status quo, but make it better for them, make their jobs faster and easier. I love the remote radiology experience as an example, um, because I've, if I'm giving the ability for remote radiologists to see the images faster, quicker, easier, and I can now read an extra two images per day, not only is that better for that radiologist, but it's better for your top line revenue <laughs> as a health system, right? Because now it's seamless and it's faster because they're not having to backhaul and go through those slow, cumbersome VPNs, et cetera. So this modernization makes that user experience so much better, so much so that I've had multiple CTOs uh, stories tell me like one radiologist, the, their chief radiologist was kind of a big pain for them. Um, they implemented this modern approach and all of a sudden they literally came up to the CTO and gave him a hug. It's like, thank you so much. You made 
made my life so much better. That's what I mean by user experience, being able to make it so that it's not just status quo, but it's seamless and better daily for them because they don't even know they're more secure while they're able to access their applications quicker. Yeah, one of these days, I think uh, the, the way that you know you've got the right experience is that if your users don't need to learn the three letters together, V, P, right. and N, yeah. <laughs> and they yeah. can get in and do their work without knowing what that term is. So in the last couple of minutes that we yeah. have now, so uh, are there any quick examples of, you know, using ID badges, scanning, automatic as people going through building areas, when they walk up to a computer, being able to auto log them in with their particular um, user IDs. What are some good examples that you've seen that uh, our listeners could learn from uh, in the industry itself? No, this is actually, I'm glad you brought this up because we didn't even pre-discuss this. We, um, we have a, we're the only cybersecurity partner of Improvada. We're the, we're the only ones that have been integrated with Improvada so that when a user experience story comes up to mind is you've got a doctor that taps in to a shared workstation today. Those workstations have very generic security policies. It's all or none. You can't get granular with it because people are tapping in and out. Um, and you have to have that one shared workstation type of user on there. With this integration that we've done today, that user experience changes because now every time somebody taps in or taps out and somebody else taps in and taps out of those shared workstations, they get their specific policy applied to them every single time they tap in and tap out. So, it, you know, you may be able to give more access to things for a doctor versus a nurse, as an example, as well as have that extra protection in place that's seamless to them. They don't know any different. They're just using their tap and go like any other time. And, and this is a great example of user experience that's seamless where they're getting that extra cybersecurity benefit on top of it. No, and that's exactly right. And if you think about the examples of, so browsers, uh, in the old days, we used to use SAML, then we moved to OAuth, but now you've got FIDO and these other more modern authentication protocols that are built right into browsers. So you could actually know on web page number one in your EMR versus web page number two in your EMR, who's logged in, what are they allowed to see? And you don't have to do it all uh, just with an all or nothing approach. You can know what device am I on? What room am I in? So there are certain things that could only be made available when uh, presented one way versus another. So I didn't actually know you're uh, that close with the Improvada team, but that's actually really nice is if you just remember this one thing is make the right thing, the easy thing to do. That is a job of the CTO, the CISO, the CIO. End user should not have to wonder how those things work. And that seamless point that you made is perfect. So uh, Tamara, first, this was a fantastic conversation. So thank you so much for your insightful per perspectives. Before we wrap up, is there anything you want to share with the listeners about Zscaler and where you can find them uh, online? If not, uh, we can uh, end uh, there. Yeah, I'll just I'll just share again, zscaler.com, um, obviously, but that ESG report is going to be super helpful to understand that economic value we talked about. So we'll share that link and you can read it. And again, it's a third party report that they put together. So uh, we'll share that. And then, of course, just to wrap it up, think of this as modernization versus zero trust and zero trust becomes a byproduct um, as you're going through this. Awesome. So uh, for the, for our listeners, stay tuned for more episodes where we're going to explore the latest trends in innovation shaping healthcare's future. And we're going to have more conversations with excellent folks like uh, Tamara here. So thank you so much. Thank you for having me.